Beatitudes. We finished up our Beatitudes series last week with Blessed Are the Persecuted. It's like, where, where, why would Jesus leave us with Blessed Are the Persecuted? That's such a heavy topic. Um, but it's interesting that in the Beatitudes, these Beatitudes that we're supposed to have as followers of Jesus Christ who live out kingdom principles are supposed to overwhelm us to the point where we stand out. Uh, and the way that we stand out is that we, we think differently, we plan differently, our desires are different, our, our passion is different, um, our goals are different from the world around us. Jesus introduces us to this thing called the kingdom. And if you're not familiar with what the kingdom is when, when Jesus talks about it, this is the ultimate place where Jesus will reign and rule forever. Uh, this is a place where we will follow him and love him forever. This is a place where sin cannot enter. It's not welcome. It doesn't have a place. And, and so there's a part of the kingdom that is, uh, thank you, thank you, Lisa. One's hot, one's cold. It should be fun to swap back and forth. Um, <laughs> thank you, Lisa. Uh, the kingdom is, a, is something that Jesus talks about as being a now thing and a later thing. And um, Jesus, Jesus, when he prays, you remember what Jesus prays? And the disciples say, teach us how to pray. He says, okay, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next thing? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is, all, is a place that is all about God's will being done. And the kingdom is both now and later because Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a, there's a time coming when the kingdom will be eternal, when, when all of this will be restored, there won't be any more hurricanes and there won't be any more earthquakes and there won't be any more sickness and sorrow and all of those things we passed away. Um, the old order will pass and new things will come. That's talked about in the book of Revelation 21. You can read about it in there. It's powerful. But there's an aspect of the kingdom that is now. It's not just all in later. It's not just all we hope that God will bring it later, but there's an aspect of it being now as well. So to introduce this to you, I brought candy. Candy is always a great illustration. Um, I've actually used this illustration before. I think it's so good that I, I actually park on it a couple of times, but... These candies are called now and later. How many of you have ever had a now and later? Oh, you haven't, all right. Some of you haven't. Well, those of you that haven't probably still have your teeth, and so that's good. Those of you that have probably have visited the dentist a couple of times because these things will suck the, the fillings right out of your teeth, all right? Uh, these, these are now and laters, and I got a whole big jar of them because I plan on giving you all some of these uh, before the, so, you're, so you can try them, all right? Um, they call them now and later because, actually, I don't know why they call them now and later. I wasn't in on the marketing of the thing, but my guess is you have a little bit now, and they are so hard to digest, you have a little bit later. They get stuck in your teeth, you know, they get stuck in the back of your throat, and then, oh, oh there it is, chew it up a little bit more, now and later, all right? That's probably not why, but it's funny. You'll know what I mean when I hand them out at the, uh, later on in the service. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom, uh, forgive the crassness of the illustration, but that's what Jesus is talking about. He says to us in this place that we live that's full of sadness and sorrow and brokenness, there's an aspect of the kingdom that is now. 
Instead of always looking forward to what is coming and when all of this will pass away and we get to live with Jesus forever and we long for heaven. We even talked about that last week. When we're being persecuted, sometimes you long for heaven more than any other time. When there's challenges in your family or sickness, you long for heaven more than any other time. But there's an aspect now where we can taste, experience the kingdom now. Jesus taught about this, and we are to keep talking about this and making sure that we understand and remind ourselves that it's not all about what's to come, but it can be a little bit of now as well. And Jesus said, even in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs will be the kingdom of heaven, but theirs is. They get to experience a little bit of the kingdom of heaven when they're persecuted. We talked about that last week. But there's a later, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Always there's an aspect of the now and the later when it comes to the spirit, or when it comes to the kingdom. And so what, what happens is when we live out the Beatitudes, when we live differently from the world around us, we necessarily will stand out because we're bringing an aspect of the kingdom to light now. Think of it this way. You have circles all around you, your work circle, your home circle, your, um, your private circle, we, uh, your friendship circle. All these circles are, are around us all the time. Our goal is to insert kingdom living inside of every one of those circles with our friends, with our family, with our church, with our workers, co-workers. Our goal in life is to be such a different, changing person that the kingdom becomes visible in every one of the circles that we live in. When that happens, we necessarily will stand out. Try having a broken spirit with people that are not used to seeing a broken spirit. Or try to be pure in heart with people who are not used to that, or try being meek. As the, um, as the uh, Beatitudes say, the bottom line is this, in these attitudes of the followers of Jesus, the point is that the kingdom will become visible now to this world. The kingdom will be visible in our lives, and we necessarily will stand out Try being merciful <laughs> in this world. You're gonna stand out. Try being dedicated to be a peacemaker in this world. You will stand out. Quite frankly, bottom line is you will stand out, but don't worry, you're meant to. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, Craig, I, sometimes I do feel like I really stand out. No worries, <laughs> you're meant to. God gives you the ability, God gives you the passion, God changes your desires, God makes you into a different person so that you begin to bring a little bit of the kingdom into all of the circles of your life and that will necessarily make you stand out. And all of the people around you will continue to give you all the bad advice that you've grown up with, all of the bad advice that they've heard from their friends and you will say in those circles, wait a second, that's, that's not what God wants me to do. And they're going to look at you and they're going to go, I don't know what planet you're from, but that's not how the real world works. And you say, yeah, it may not be how the world around us works, but I think it's pretty obvious that the world around us doesn't work. 
This is how God intends for life to work. That's why everything in the kingdom is upside down. If you wanna be great, you have to be the least. If you wanna be strong, you have to be weak. Everything is upside down. If you, if you wanna save the world, you've gotta die on a cross. Everything in the kingdom is upside down. And so when you insert kingdom principles into this world, you will necessarily stand out. It's just how it's meant to be. Because we are here on a mission. We are here to affect the world positively for Jesus Christ in the time that we have here. So Jesus begins by saying, here's how you're going to stand out. You're going to be salt and you're going to be light. He uses these two principles um, and we have a tendency to kind of insert our own meaning to all of these things. So Michael and I spent a lot of time really digging and trying to figure out exactly what salt and light meant when Jesus said it. If you think about it, salt nowadays, if you want salt, you go to the grocery store and buy salt. How much is salt? How much is like a little thing of salt? It's free at a restaurant, right? Yeah, bucket, you know, feel like you're at the price is right, right? <laughs> no, it's $1.85. Somebody stole your bid. Uh, it's, it's cheap, right? Did you know in the olden days, people used to kill each other for salt? Salt used to be so valuable, they used to, they used to kill each other in order to get salt. So the world in which we live is completely different than the world in which Jesus lives. So when Jesus talks about salt, um, let's try and figure out what he was talking about. What are some things we know about salt? So here's some of the things maybe he could have meant. First, salt was extremely valuable. So maybe he was saying, you are the salt of the earth, which is what he says. Did we read that verse yet? <clears throat> it's in Matthew 5, 13, but he says, you are the salt of the earth. So what does it mean? Um, maybe he means you are the most valuable people in the world because salt would be valuable. Could be. Maybe salt was used to season food. So maybe he means you're here to season food. No, that's not what he means. But maybe he meant that you're here to season the world, to give it a little flavor. Or maybe salt was also used as a preservative. So maybe he was saying, you are here to save the world. Preserve it. You being people that Jesus is talking to. You are the salt of the earth. Maybe salt is meant to purify and heal. Uh, in the olden days, um, um, the salt, actually nowadays, salt is a healing property. You can get on a tour right now and go to the Dead Sea and float around in the Dead Sea with the idea that the chemicals in the Dead Sea, the salt, will heal your maladies. So salt heals people. Maybe that's what Jesus meant. Maybe when you eat a lot of salt, what happens? If you eat a lot of salt, you get What? Thirsty. So maybe he meant, excuse me a second. Maybe he meant that you are the salt of the earth. You're supposed to make people thirst for God. Maybe that's what he meant. Maybe he meant it in a negative way. Maybe salt is also used for a destructive purpose. Did you know that? Like in, uh, in the medieval times, if, uh, if you got overthrown and if people didn't like you a whole lot, they would pour salt on your ground. And if you pour salt on the ground, guess what happens? Nothing grows. Um, in fact, there's an illustration in scripture in Judges chapter nine, where Abimelech 
captured Shechem and they had treated him poorly and so he poured salt all over the earth so that they wouldn't be able to grow anything in their fields. So maybe salt is meant that we're supposed to be like the people who cast judgment on the earth. We're supposed to let them know judgment is coming. It's gonna be bad. Could mean all of these things. Let me walk you through the verse and see if we can't find out exactly what it is that Jesus meant. Matthew 5.13 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The natural progression of anything is that it moves from order to decay. It's called the second law of thermodynamics. It is a fact of the universe. In fact, this was a hot cup of tea. Now, it is a warm cup of tea. And if I leave it up here until I'm done speaking in like 70, 80 minutes or so, <laughs> it will be a cold cup of tea. You never have a cup of tea that gets warmer unless something acts upon it to make it warmer. Like if you're at a restaurant and the waitress comes along and says, can I warm up your tea for you? Something needs to be done in order to make it better. Everything that's built, constructed, born, everything, everything moves from order to decay. Uh, one of the greatest illustrations is sitting in your seat right now. As you get older, are you moving toward decay or are you moving toward better health and strength? Anybody want to volunteer? <laughs> yeah, Craig, I'm the exception to the rule. I'm a, yeah, Alan, he's, he's the only exception to the rule that we have here. The same thing works in our spiritual lives. Everything moves from spiritual order to spiritual decay, morality to depravity. Our nature gets worse as we, uh, as we grow, our, our acts of rebellion becomes worse. With my little girls when they were young, you know, they would steal things every now and then. And it was, it was like, okay, we gotta correct that and make sure that that doesn't happen or they would fight with each other over these little toys. And, and we would correct those things. But as you get older, if those things don't get corrected, if they go on their natural pace, they become worse. <laughs> if you don't discipline your kids, you know, and you just hope they grow out of it. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, it doesn't usually work that way, right? You have to step in and correct bad behavior in order to construct something better. Our, our relationship with God is, is the same. We, <clears throat> we began this life in Genesis chapter one and two as being made in God's image, but in Genesis three, the third chapter of scripture, we decided to rebel against God. And when we did that, that act of rebellion was passed toward every on in every person that was ever born afterwards. We call that in, in, inherited sin. And you have this sinful nature in you because it's been passed on to you by your, your, uh, the people that were here before you. And unless something steps in to make the change, to become a catalyst of change, unless God stops, steps in, that process of decay will never stop. And inevitably when we die, we spend an eternity apart from God and not with him. Here's the good news. Jesus stepped in to stop the process of decay. 
Jesus stepped in so that we could have a way to change things around. One of the most powerful verses to where this end is in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. What are the next three words, church? Are being transformed into the same image. That's into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. In other words, we're all working at different paces and different levels, but we're all moving toward that same goal, which is to look more like Jesus. For all of this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. The process of decay in our spiritual nature and in our, in our moral nature can be stopped because Jesus gave us a way out, a way for things to change, a way to, a, w- a way to become salt in a fallen world, a way to become something that we weren't originally. In a world that is constantly decaying, we are the one thing, we're the only thing in this world that is being made new. Did you ever think about that? Nothing else in creation is being made new. Only those who belong to Jesus. That's because God steps in and gives us the Holy Spirit who begins working in our lives to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, you should look more like Jesus today than you did a year ago. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should definitely look more like Jesus today than you did five years ago. That is the process of being made new and is the only process that occurs on this planet in the universe where something that is decaying actually is made better or new. And it's not because of us, but because God is doing a work in us. This is why in Philippians, the verse goes like this. I am confident that he who began a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you've given your life to Jesus, Jesus has stepped in and you're being made into a new creation. Is that great? You don't continue the process of decay. You begin to become something different, something that God wants you to be. I think this is what Jesus is saying when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is a decay preventer. When I got my wisdom teeth out, the doctor said, you've got to gargle with Salt water. Why do you gargle with salt water? Because you want to make sure that none of that decay, none of that bad stuff gets in there. You want to clean it out. You want to prevent infection from occurring. And I think this is the main impact of what Jesus meant to to say when he uses the word salt. And, And this is why germs were so prevalent in Jesus' day that the people could identify with it. Even when a baby was born in Jesus' day, it was meant to be, the, the, the process was you washed it with salt water. Clean out the impurities. Listen to what Jesus says in the verse. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I'm not even sure this is even possible. We looked up like, is it possible for salt not to be salty? There is a chemical reaction. You gotta be intentional about it so that salt can lose its saltiness. But for the most part in Jesus' day, I don't think they knew that. I think they understood that salt was salty. It's right in the very word itself, right? Salt is salty. You even call it salty because it explains what it is. 
And I think what Jesus is saying is, it's not the point that salt can lose its saltiness, that's not the point. You are the salt of the earth, that's the point. You can't lose your saltiness. You shouldn't lose your saltiness. You have to be salt in a tasteless and decaying world. What good is salt to anyone if it's not salty? And what good are we to God if we're not passionate about what God is doing in this world around us? We are made to function in a certain way, just like salt is made to function.